Vienna. Strange and unusual stories from history, literature, myths, and legends. The Corpse Rider, from the book Shadowings, by Lafcadio Hearn. The body was cold as ice. The heart had long ceased to beat. Yet there were no other signs of death. Nobody even spoke of burying the woman. She had died of grief and anger at having been divorced. It would have been useless to bury her, because the last undying wish of a dying person for vengeance can burst asunder any tomb and rift the heaviest graveyard stone. People who lived near the house in which she was lying fled from their homes. They knew that she was only waiting for the return of the man who had divorced her. At the time of her death, he was on a journey. When he came back and was told what had happened, terror seized him if I can find no help before dark, he thought to himself, she will tear me to pieces. It was yet only the hour of the dragon, but he knew that he had no time to lose. He went at once to the Inyoshi and begged for succor. The Inyoshi knew the story of the dead woman, and he had seen the body. He said to the supplicant, a very great danger threatens you. I will try to save you, but you must promise to do whatever I shall tell you to do. There's only one way by which you can be saved, and it is a fearful way. But unless you find the courage to attempt it, she will tear you limb from limb. If you can be brave, come to me again in the evening before sunset. The man shuddered but he promised to do whatever should be required of him. At sunset, the Inyoshi went with him to the house where the body was lying. The Inyoshi pushed open the sliding doors and told his client to enter. It was rapidly growing dark. I dare not, gasped the man, quaking from head to foot. I dare not even look at her. You will have to do much more than look at her declared the Inyoshi. And you promised to obey. Go in! He forced the trembler into the house and led him to the side of the corpse. The dead woman was lying on her face. Now you must get astride upon her, said the Inyoshi, and sit firmly on her back, as if you were riding a horse. Come, you must do it. The man shivered so that the Inyoshi had to support him. Shivered horribly, but he obeyed. Now take her hair in your hands, commanded the Inyoshi. Half in the right hand, half in the left, so you must grip it like a bridle. Twist your hands in it, both hands, tightly. This is the way. Listen to me, you must stay like that until morning. You will have reason to be afraid in the night, plenty of reason. But whatever may happen, never let go of her hair. If you do let go, even for one second, 
she will tear you into gobbets. He and Yoshi then whispered some mysterious words into the ear of the body and said to its rider, Now, for my own sake, I must leave you alone with her. Remain as you are. Above all things, remember that you must not let go of her hair. And he went away, closing the doors behind him. Hour after hour, the man sat upon the corpse in black fear, and the hush of the night deepened and deepened about him till he screamed to break it. Instantly, the body sprang beneath him as to cast him off, and the dead woman cried out loudly, Oh, how heavy it is! Yet I shall bring that fellow here now! Then tall she rose and leapt to the doors, and flung them open and rushed into the night, always bearing the weight of the man. But he, shutting his eyes, kept his hands twisted in her long hair, tightly, tightly, though fearing with such a fear that he could not even moan. How far she went he never knew. He saw nothing. He heard only the sound of her naked feet in the dark and the hiss of her breathing as she ran. At last she turned and ran back into the house and lay down upon the floor exactly as at first. Under the man she panted and moaned till the cocks began to crow. Thereafter she lay still. But the man with chattering teeth sat upon her until the Inyoshi came at sunrise. Mm, So you did not let go of her hair observed the Inyoshi, greatly pleased. That is well. Now you can stand up. He whispered again into the ear of the corpse, and then said to the man, You must have passed a fearful night, but nothing else could have saved you. Hereafter, you may feel secure from her vengeance. The conclusion of this story I do not think to be morally satisfying. It is not recorded that the corpse rider became insane, or that his hair turned white. We are only told that he worshipped the Inyoshi with tears of gratitude. A note appended to the recital is equally disappointing. It is reported, the Japanese author says, that the grandchild of the man who rode the corpse still survives, and that a grandson of the Inyoshi is at this very time living in a village called Otani Murai. This village name does not appear in any Japanese directory of today, but the names of many towns and villages have been changed since the foregoing story was written. Zakura, from the book Kwaidan, by Lafcario Hearn. In Wakegori, a district of the province of Io, there is a very ancient and famous cherry tree called Juroku Zakura, or the cherry tree of the 16th day, because it blooms every year upon the 16th day of the first month by the old lunar calendar, 
and only upon that day. Thus, the time of its flowering is the period of great cold, though the natural habit of a cherry tree is to wait for the spring season before venturing to blossom. But the Zhu Roku Zakura blossoms with a life that is not, or at least that was not originally, its own. There is the ghost of a man in that tree. He was a samurai of Io, and the tree grew in his garden, and it used to flower at the usual time. That is to say, about the end of March or the beginning of April. He had played under that tree when he was a child, and his parents and grandparents and ancestors had hung to its blossoming branches, season after season for more than a hundred years, bright strips of colored paper inscribed with poems of praise. He himself became very old, outliving all his children, and there was nothing in the world left for him to love except that tree. And lo, in the summer of a certain year, the tree withered and died. Exceedingly the old man sorrowed for his tree. Then kind neighbors found for him a young and beautiful cherry tree and planted it in his garden, hoping thus to comfort him. He thanked them and pretended to be glad, but really his heart was full of pain, for he had loved the old tree so well that nothing could have consoled him for the loss of it. At last there came to him a happy thought. He remembered a way by which the perishing tree might be saved. It was the sixteenth day of the first month. Alone he went into his garden, and bowed down before the withered tree, and spoke to it, saying, Now, Dane, I beseech you, once more to bloom, because I am going to die in your stead. For it is believed that one can really give away one's life to another person, or to a creature, or even to a tree, by the favor of the gods. And thus, to transfer one's life is expressed by the term migawari nitatsu, to act as a substitute. Then under that tree he spread a white cloth and diverse coverings, and sat down upon the coverings, and performed harakiri after the fashion of a samurai. And the ghost of him went into the tree and made it blossom in that same hour. And every year it still blooms on the sixteenth day of the first month in the season of snow. Dead Secret from Quaidon by Lafgadio Hearn. A long time ago in the province of Tamba, there lived a rich merchant named Enomura Jensuki. 
He had a daughter called Osano, and she was very clever and pretty. He thought it would be a pity to let her grow up with only such teaching as the country teachers could give her, so he sent her, in care of some trusty attendants, to Kyoto, that she might be trained in the polite accomplishments taught to the ladies of the capital. After she had been educated, she was married to a friend of her father's family, a merchant named Nagara, and she lived happily with him for nearly four years. They had one child, but Osano fell ill and died in the fourth year after her marriage. On the night after the funeral of Osana, her little son said that his mama had come back and was in the room upstairs. She had smiled at him, but would not talk to him. So he became afraid and ran away. Then some of the family went upstairs to the room which had been Osano's, and they were startled to see, by the light of the small lamp which had been kindled before a shrine in that room, the figure of the dead mother. She appeared as if standing in front of a tansu, a chest of drawers, that still contained her ornaments and her wearing apparel. Her head and shoulders could be seen distinctly, but from the waist downwards, the figure thinned into invisibility. It was like an imperfect reflection of her and transparent as a shadow on water. Then the folk were afraid and left the room, but they consulted together and the mother of Osano's husband said, a woman is fond of her small things, and Osono was much attached to her belongings. Perhaps she has come back to look at them. Many dead persons will do that unless the things be given to the parish temple. If we present Osono's robes and girdles to the temple, her spirit will probably find rest. It was agreed that this should be done as soon as possible. So on the following morning, the drawers were emptied and all of Osana's ornaments and dresses were taken to the temple. But she came back the next night and looked at the Tansu as before. And she came back also on the night following, and the night after that, and every night. And the house became a house of fear. The mother of Osana's husband then went to the parish temple and told the chief priest all that had happened and asked for ghostly counsel. The temple was a Zen temple, and the head priest was a learned old man known as Dagen Osho. He said, There must be something about which she is anxious, in or near the Tansu. But we emptied all the drawers, replied the woman. There's nothing in the Tansu. Well, said Dagen Osho, Tonight I shall go to your house and keep watch in that room and see what can be done. You must give orders that no person shall enter the room while I am watching, unless I call. After sundown, Dagen Ocean went to the house and found the room made ready for him. He remained there alone, reading the sutras, and nothing happened until after the hour of the rat. Then the figure of Osano suddenly outlined itself in front of the tansu. Her face had a wistful look, and she kept her eyes fixed upon the tansu. The priest uttered the holy formula prescribed in such cases, and then, addressing the figure by the kamyo of Osano, said, I have come here in order to help you. Perhaps in that tansu there is something about which you have reason to feel anxious. Shall I try to find it for you? The shadow appeared to give assent by a slight motion of the head, and the priest, rising, opened the top drawer. 
It was empty. Successively, he opened the second, the third, and the fourth drawer. He searched carefully behind them and beneath them. He carefully examined the interior of the chest. He found nothing. But the figure remained gazing as wistfully as before. What can she want? thought the priest. Suddenly it occurred to him that there might be something hidden under the paper with which the drawers were lined. He removed the lining of the first drawer. Nothing. He removed the lining of the second and third drawers. Still nothing. But under the lining of the lowermost drawer he found a letter. Is this the thing about which you have been troubled? He asked. The shadow of the woman turned towards him. Her faint gaze fixed upon the letter. Shall I burn it for you? He asked. She bowed before him. It shall be burned in the temple this very morning, he promised. And no one shall read it except myself. The figure smiled and vanished. Dawn was breaking as the priest descended the stairs to find the family waiting anxiously below. Do not be anxious, he said to them. She will not appear again. And she never did. The letter was burned. It was a love letter written to Osano in the time of her studies at Kyoto. But the priest alone knew what was in it, and the secret died with him. Music and audio production by Bob Familiar. Narration by Bob Familiar, Rick Widener, and Jim Bilbro. This has been Ambient Arcana. Ambient Arcana.